0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. We have some exciting news to share on behalf of our friends at Dead Soxy. They've just launched a new product line with navy and gold socks that are perfect for our Inside ND Sports Podcast listeners. The Dead Soxie folks saw some of the comments that were made on the Insider Lounge Message Board, listen to the feedback, and they've delivered a product that aligns with your allegiances. To find the new Navy and Gold options, head to deadsoxy.com, select team colorways under the collections tab on the website, and you'll be able to see all the latest products. And if you use the code Lucky at checkout, that's L-U-C-K-Y, you'll get 25% off your order. We will have a thread on the Insider Lounge Message Board directing you to the new product line, and the Dead Soxy team will be on the board themselves to interact with our subscribers and new customers. The Dead Soxy folks would greatly welcome any feedback on the product, and they plan to engage our community in future discussions. I think it's pretty cool how involved the Dead Soxy team wants to be with our subscribers, so please take advantage of this deal and help them deliver the product you're looking for. Dead Soxy isn't just investing in our podcast, but It's investing in our entire Inside Indy Sports community. So make sure to take advantage of this deal. Find your new socks at DeadSoxy.com and use code LUCKY at checkout for 25% off your order. The bye week is over. Notre Dame's trip to Las Vegas is almost here, but I still can't figure out how much stock to put into Notre Dame's win at North Carolina. So before we completely turn our attention to Saturday's Shamrock Series game against BYU— We wanted to talk about the Tar Heels and some of Notre Dame's future opponents in the ACC, and there's no one better to help us with that than Eric McLean, college football analyst for ACC Network and ESPN, and a former Clemson offensive lineman and captain. Eric, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Always fun when I get to sit down and talk about the Golden Domers with you guys. Always appreciate (laughs) you having me on.
0: All right, Eric, let's get right into it. How excited should Notre Dame fans be about what the Irish did against North Carolina?
1: Well, I think you should be very excited because you scored points. You moved the football. You got it going. Uh, I know it was against one of the worst defenses in the entire country, but you got it done. And, uh, you know, a massive second quarter just seemed like every time I looked at the screen, Notre Dame was scoring some type of points there in in the second quarter and, you know, kind of finished strong in in the third and then, of course, kind of teetered off in the fourth a little bit. But you've got to feel good about it because the the name of this game so often, man, is – just about confidence and just about realizing that we could do something. Um, I know you didn't ask it, but I look at a guy like DJ Uyunglele and you know, just the success that he has had that it just started with a couple of plays here and there this season to now where he's erupted and you know looks like a totally different guy than, than we've seen. So I think similar to, to Notre Dame, just trusting your guys, figuring out some new weapons. I know some injuries here and there have maybe, you know, deterred that. And of course the quarterback position, my goodness. Um, but, but looking at that, I think massive for confidence and just to see how they do moving forward.
2: Eric, I'm curious once North Carolina gets into the gristle of its, um, ACC schedule, and I'm not, not sure who all they play in the crossover games. I should have looked that up, but do you think Drake may and that passing game and the balance in that offense is going to hold up? When they go against really good defenses, I'm not sure that Notre Dame falls into that category at this point.
1: You, you know, I, I do. I, I think if there's one thing that you can come to expect from North Carolina, is that offense is going to be great. I mean, that's just since Mac Brown has been there uh, for the second time, they've produced numbers and they put up points and they've been able to score. And now you have a guy in Drake May who, guys, I, I said first round draft pick to kind of, you know, three yeah. games in the season. I think he's gonna be a top five pick when it's all said and done. Wow. This guy is just electric and he's so young still and has such a great grasp of the offense, obviously has the size and all those measurables, you know, that scouts are going to be looking at, but just his maturity level, the way that he can distribute the ball, get it to a bunch of different dudes, isn't afraid to stand in the pocket, take a shot, and deliver a strike. And man, there's just there's not really any flaws to his game. I think the one that you could say if you're gonna nitpick is he needs to just go down, stop trying to jump yeah. over people or run through people, just slide, get out of the way, you know, protect yourself. But he's got it all. So I, they play Pittsburgh, who, who has been struggling. I think they'll be fine there. They play NC State at the end of the year, which is probably the best defense, you know, their remaining schedule that they have there. And that's a rivalry game. You, you just never know what's yeah. going to happen there. So, yes, I, I think North Carolina is going to remain one of the best offenses in the country to, to really wrap this year up.
2: Just following up on that, would you, I mean, if you were the offensive coordinator, if you were Mac Brown, would you run May as much as he is? Mm -hmm. You know, I know they did it with Sam Howell, but I mean, as gifted as that kid is, and I know he's huge, but would you kind of reel that in a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's so hard, man. I remember having this conversation about Trevor Lawrence good player do you try to limit his hits limit his contact that he makes with guys and I think the answer is no I mean you don't want to run him like a a Malik Cunningham who's literally you know taking the same numbers as as a running back in the ACC in regards to QB runs that he has but it's just a good piece of his game that's it's another thing that you have to game plan for it's another piece that you have to take out of coverage to be responsible for him and make sure that if you're going man to man, you have a spy and everybody's head's just not turned around and you look up and he's 40 yards downfield. Right. So, you know, I, I think you certainly limit it. I'm probably not going to do quarterback power left and right or quarterback counter, but you know, some, some zone reads, some design draw. And then of course, just encouraging him to be an athlete with his legs. It's something that it, it's just a piece of what he does. I, I don't think you want to limit that.
0: Eric, you said yourself that North Carolina may be one of the worst defenses in the country why, why can I not figure things out defensively? And do you think it'll remain that way the rest of the season? <laughs> I,
1: I, I honestly don't know, man. I'm baffled. These guys have tricked me, I'll say, one and a half times. Last year, they certainly did. I, I thought that defensive line was going to be ferocious. I thought they were going to really have a massive year a year ago defensively when I just was at camp, saw the bodies for myself, and said, man, th- these guys look like Clemson, I mean, defensively in terms of personnel and what they have. I go there this year. It's a lot of the same guys, so I'm a little hesitant. I'm saying, okay, is it just who they are? And, man, they, they just look so good. They have pieces. They have players, all these five stars. My goodness, that they've recruited along the defensive line and, and one in the secondary there. It's really baffling just to see. Um, and, and so I just don't know, man. I don't know if it's, again, scheme. Thought we were bringing in Gene Chiswick to make things simple and easy and let those guys just go play. Uh, it, it is a baffling thing to to watch and, and to see the lack of effort at times, disinterest at times, and especially a defensive line that is as big, as strong and athletic looking as they are, just go take over a game. And those guys, quite frankly, maybe a little bit against Virginia Tech, held those guys to 10 points, but that offense is, is abysmal as well. Um, so it's just something that they have to keep growing and have to keep figuring out. They're going against a Miami team that is really struggling. Don't let that be their coming out party. I mean, cause that's just, that's not good.
2: <laughs> so a side note, when I went to look up your power rankings in the ACC, you know, I queued for your name and I I'm stunned at all the offshoots of your Twitter personality. There's Eric McLean's beard. Eric (laughs) McLean's shoes. There's an unverified Eric McLean account with your same picture. So you've got a stalker or a big fan (laughs) or something going on there. Uh, Uh, That
1: um, is a little terrifying.
2: A little terrifying. terrifying. (laughs) Um, But uh, uh, you know, you rank the teams from one to fourteen. You got Clemson, Wake Forest, and NC State at the top of that. North Carolina, the team that they played, a seven. If you had to stick Notre Dame in there based on what you've seen of them, where would you put them right now?
1: Man, I, I am a I think big, that's difficult too. It is difficult. It is difficult. I'm a big, you know, kind of fan because these are power rankings, they're they're in the moment, right? So yeah. if, if you just beat, you know, a, a North Carolina teams at seven. I mean, they, they would probably be seven or six. They'd probably be right there in, in the, the middle of it and, and just you know, opportunity to get better, which that's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up. If you guys join a conference, think about it. You could be playing for a coastal division right now instead of playing for like a Cheez-It Bowl or a New York Pinstripe Bowl. Come on, let, let's play for championships, man. The
2: Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: (laughs) I I think you're speaking for a lot of uh, powerful people in the ACC in terms of wanting to get Notre Dame in that conference. But uh, yeah, I mean, as we saw the conference shake up during the offseason, it's like, well, maybe Notre Dame is going to have to get into a conference. But I think, at least from my opinion, sort of the ACC remaining a sustainable partner in the way that it is, is. Will will go a long way in Notre Dame's ability to remain independent. So sure, I think that's a, sure. sort of a tough spot for the ACC to be in. It's like, well, we need to remain viable, but can we right. do that with by forcing Notre Dame to get in the, right. in the conference? Well, hey, or not? well,
1: I'm glad you bring that up. Let me tell you something. 2020, y'all would have been signing a contract that got you in. Let me just tell you that. We wouldn't <laughs> have had this. Oh, yeah, come in for a year. We'll, we'll see. We'll make it good. It'll be great. Y'all would have been signing a deal right there.
0: <laughs> uh, Eric, given – Given Notre Dame's loss to, to Marshall and the narrow victory over Cal, I think Notre Dame fans are in a position where they're not taking any opponent for granted. So certainly they're not looking past BYU or anyone else on the schedule, but there's a, a, some interesting ACC matchups down the line starting at the end of October when Notre Dame will head to Syracuse, a team that's now in the top 25 with an undefeated record. How, right. how real do you think this Syracuse team is?
1: Yeah, man, no, they're, they're good. And you know what, what's so fascinating. And I'm going to say this with a grain of salt too, because you guys have like some hex over every ACC team minus Clemson where they just can't beat you no matter what the circumstances are. So I- I'm going to say all this and just know that you're probably still going to beat them. Um, Syracuse is much improved. And it starts with you know their quarterback and Garrett Schrader, a guy who was at the bottom of the ACC a year ago in regards to yards, touchdowns, accuracy, QBR and has turned his game around 180 as a totally different guy. When I I talk about, you know, making that progress, DJ Uyunglele, Garrett Schrader, Jordan Travis, you know, those three quarterbacks, they weren't on anybody's list, you know, to start a season of watch out for this guy, or this guy's going to be this and that. And they played their way into just this really, really impressive era where they're throwing the ball confidently. Garrett Schrader knows where he's going with the football. He's still running it very effectively. And I have to give a ton of credit to Coach Beck and to Coach Anai, offensive coordinator and and quarterback coach respectively, for getting this out of him and, and having an offense where it's super creative. It gets the the ball to the playmakers that can really make a difference. And so when I see that it's like, whoa, look out. I mean what can these guys do? And once they get on the same page, you know, with the running attack and passing attack and you have that holistic approach, it's going to be really dangerous. I knew the defense was going to be good. Those guys are old. They've played together a bunch. They have a couple of really nice cornerbacks that I think are going to be draft picks. Um, I knew that those guys were going to be fine, but this offense has been a pleasant surprise uh, to say the least so far.
2: For our listeners, um, Eric has North Carolina at seven and then the future opponents in the ACC, Clemson one, Syracuse four, and Boston College 11. I'm going to swing to Boston College. Uh, you know, you look at them statistically, and they're a mess. You know, they have the, one of the worst rushing attacks in the country, one of the highest rates of allowing sacks. Poor Phil Jakovic, and it shows up in his stats. Now they had a good win over Louisville, which I think you have Louisville thirteenth out of fourteen. Um, but but at least I didn't expect them to win that game. So what's what's the do, What's going on? Is there any hope for Phil Jakovic that he's gonna get out of this with his draft stock improved instead of going down? Yeah,
1: man. Uh w- what a weird year from those guys. Did did yeah. not expect this, you know, from them at all. I knew that they were replacing five offensive linemen. I just figured there was guys in the wing that were ready and that were waiting. And that, you know, just hasn't been the case up to that Louisville game. Um these guys struggle bad, man, and they can't run the football, as you said. Couldn't protect Phil. Phil has no time to go anywhere with the football, so he's either scrambling or try to heat it up, and, and guys just aren't open. This game against Louisville, he looked like a guy from last year. He looked like the guy went healthy, finding big Zay Flowers, averaged like 30 yards a catch, had all these crazy yards and touchdowns. Those two are special, and if they have time, if they can get on the same page, look out. You, you know Who knows what can happen when you have a, a receiver as special as Zay Flowers you know, and a quarterback in, in Phil Dracovic that can get it to him. So I liked what I saw from Boston College from, from an approach standpoint in regards to moving the pocket, rolling Phil out, quick hits that are designed that it's not a read, that he just knows, okay, I'm throwing this ball here because he, he just doesn't have time. And, and so for me, man, can you grow comfortable in that offense? Maybe, uh, but it's, it's a big up till battle you know, for Boston college and, and great to get a dub against a team like Louisville, who, you know, for two years now, I've called the team a mystery. I just, I never know what to expect from them. I'll go through 30 minutes, give you all the analyst analysis you want. Totally different result. I, I just, I truly do not know what they're going to do. And it, it's, it's baffling, but that's why college football is so great is at the end of the day, uh, crazy things happen. And uh, you know, we see a result like we did Boston college beating Louisville.
0: Eric, the, you mentioned the offensive line struggles at Boston College. Notre Dame had some struggles to a much lesser degree to start the season on the offensive line and has started to show some improvement. I'm curious from your experience of being an offensive lineman yourself, what, is, what are the keys to maybe taking big steps as an offensive line as the season progresses? Is that hard to do to make vast improvements in from game to game throughout a season, or is that something that sort of comes naturally the more you guys work together?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it really depends, man, on, on just what is what is the problem, okay, when, when we start the season. And, you know, w- when you look at a team, again, like Boston College, it just, that one's harder to fix because it's just, you just don't have the guys. You, right. you just don't have guys. If it's MAs, if, if it's communication, if it's things like that, then, yeah, naturally, you're going to get more comfortable as you play together. And I think that's, kind of what we've seen with Notre Dame, a little bit of shuffling, putting some guys in different positions and you start feeling really good about who's running out there and really confident. And as a unit, you know, you feel that too, like confidence, isn't just a skill player, not just a quarterback thing. You know, it's up front too, where, you know, okay, lean on us, depend on us. We, we can do that for you guys. We can be that unit that changes a game, put the ball on our backs, let's go. And and so when you look at that, and I think that's what Notre Dame's going through and what they obviously hope to continue to keep growing and you know to be a strength like they normally are for that team.
2: Eric um Clemson, I've watched portions of both their NC State game and their Wake Forest game. The Wake Forest game was really entertaining. Um <laughs> and and they almost looked like two different teams. It looked like a lot of the things that they were having problems with against Wake. Um, they started to get solved. I, I thought DJ was better in the NC State game. I thought Will Shipley, um, you, you, I mean, he's been good all year, averaging almost seven yards a carry, but you think, boy, their running game is going to hold up against good defenses. So, my ultimate question is, do you believe Clemson's going to be undefeated going into that Notre Dame game on November 5th?
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. I, I think that really the, the, Last piece for Clemson was just quarterback play. you, yeah. you know, we, we knew that defense was going to be electric and and they've actually been inconsistent, which is kind of comical. Um, we knew the running back room was gonna be solid, tight ends were gonna be really good, wide receivers had talent, certainly some room to grow there. Uh, but the last piece was just quarterback play. And, and can you know DJ take the steps necessary to, to get those guys going in the right direction? And man, it's been a resounding yes. You know, it it, it is truly remarkable to see the growth that that young man has gone through and to see the you know the storm that he went through a year ago in 2021 where it was just bad football man it was bad reads he couldn't move out of the pocket he was sailing the ball over guys heads they weren't making plays when he was throwing good passes everybody was on a different page on a different time and couldn't get any type of you know sustainability that came with injuries that came with guys not being available as well and uh, to see where he is now, even throughout this season, guys, where you look at that first Georgia Tech game, I think Clemson fans, myself included, were having PTSD. We're just like, oh, my gosh, here it goes again. You know, can't hit guys, can't run. Uh, you know, it, it's just bad. And, and all of a sudden, it's like something switched, and he, he's building confidence, and he's playing at such a high level. I mean, that NC State game, as you said, I saw five throws – that he physically could not make a year ago with touch, with anticipation, with moving the pocket and delivering a strike. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Like, how, how is this change happening? And it just goes to show you again how important confidence is, how important belief in yourself is. And you, people have to give Dabo Sweeney all the credit in the world. He never wavered about his young quarterback. He never said any type of, yeah, th- this guy, man, he's, he's this and that. He always has said – DJ's our guy. I know what he can do. He's just got to get there. And we're seeing that happen live in front of our eyes. This, this guy's well on his way, you know, to being nearly a 3000 yard passer after a year ago, you know, barely able to get the ball downfield.
0: Eric, given that there is that improved quarterback play. And if that continues throughout the season, it seems like is going to be a very hard team to beat. What what is that next concern there? Is, is the secondary issues are are those real or was that just a bad day against Wake Forest? What 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 are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I, I think that's certainly still real, just an, until kind of proven otherwise. And, and I know you, you look at the NC State game and you're probably like, oh, they solved other the problems. Well, <laughs> not so fast. That defensive line played way better. I mean, yeah. they it was kind of embarrassing to be quite honest. What you know they, they did against Wake Forest. You know, I thought they could really take the game into their own hands, and they just didn't. They got blocked. They stayed on blocks. They did not get in the backfield and manipulate Sam Hartman's footwork or arm throwing motion or anything and he lit them up. And then against NC State, it's like it's just a different team was out there. And you know, kudos to those guys for for you know taking that on the chin and to taking that criticism and going and balling out and and doing those things necessary. The the defensive backfield is young. The defensive backfield is beat up. And uh if you have a quarterback that can push it down the field, if you have receivers that, you know, like Wake Forest, who I think those receivers are one of the best in the country, I think it's Ohio State and Wake Forest fighting for that number one spot. Uh, then you might have some problems. So it'll be fascinating to see how does Clemson try to hide that? Do guys get back healthy and then it's just business as usual? Uh, Or is that going to be a consistent problem that, you know, come ACC championship, come playoff or bowl game, whatever it is, when you play a a very high caliber opponent, that can get, you know, kind of identified and take advantage of.
2: I have a zillion ACC questions that are Listeners wouldn't care less about like Duke, <laughs> Florida State, and Virginia, which I'm intrigued by all those teams for different reasons. But I'll ask you this one, because this gets under Notre Dame fan skin. Why? How can Wake Forest have that good of a wide receiver group? Because Notre Dame, if you look at them, they really only playing four guys. They only have seven on their roster. I mean, how did Wake Forest do that? And they've had people transfer that have been good yeah. wide receivers.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, the biggest thing is, man, when, when you see what Kevin Higgins has done, you know, their wide receiver coach, the associate head coach, the, the development that he does with these young men, the kids that come in and then turns them into these men, it, it's just so impressive because you you think back in the the year, I mean, the, the birth of our network in 2019, they had guys and, and now those guys leave and it's just, it's the next wave and the next wave. And, and you're seeing a guy right now kind of before our eyes, in Banks really just emerge. He's going to be the next one. The guy's a sophomore and he's out here killing people and next year he's going to be the main guy. And so I think it's a development thing. I think that they kind of have this image of what they want their guys to look like and they'll mold them into whatever they want. They'll take them and say, Hey, look, this is what you're going to be. It also helps when you have a talented guy as Sam Hartman that, you know, can just do so many great things with the football and and really put the wide receivers in great position. But you, you have to give coach Higgins a ton of credit.
0: Eric, you, you joked about getting Notre Dame to join the ACC. Are there other schools on the wish list for you that, that Notre, or the ACC should try to acquire in terms of moving forward, or do you think it's sort of Notre Dame or bust?
1: You know, I, I it's such an interesting question that probably earlier in this process I probably would have rattled off a bunch of names and said this would be great, this would be that, but they don't move the needle. Like Notre Dame's the one that moves the needle. Notre Dame's the brand. Notre Dame's the, the blue blood. Notre Dame's the program. That moves the needle. You go get West Virginia. Okay, great. What does that do? You know, go get an app state. We already have the entire market of North Carolina. What's the point? Go get an Oregon. Go crazy out west. That, that would be fun. <laughs> but like, who who cares at the end of the day? And, and so I think what what it is is you look at that school. You look at the relationship. You look at the the thought process with academics and athletics, and it's all aligned very well, and and makes a ton of sense. So for me, man, it's. As as we are right now, it, it is it truly is Notre Dame or bust. I'd like to see it go to sixteen if they do bring Notre Dame, not have that random fifteen number. You know, so if that is a West Virginia um, or or someone of that nature, I, th- I think it totally makes a lot of sense. But y'all are the key. Let's get it done. Let's stop <laughs> playing.
2: <laughs> at, at the beginning of this seismic shift that we started again, what started with UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten and Uh, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC do you see any scenario where the ACC doesn't survive the next wave of this that they'll get cherry picked um, and and that they won't be the same or do you feel like they have enough with their grant of rights thing going on and with their you know with their history and everything that they're going to be the survivor rather than the people that get picked on
1: Yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating, man. You know, once this thing really gets stressed out, does, you know, football in itself become its own, like, governing entity? You know, there's so many different factors and variables that I think this thing could change and move and, you know, just do a lot of different things. Um, And with that, I mean, you look at a couple of things you brought up there, the grant of rights and, and the, you know, the, 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 contracts that are involved with that and the financial implications that come with testing those waters and trying to get out before 36 or 35, whatever the number is, would financially ruin an athletic department, not just a team, an athletic department, unless you have some mega booster out there that's going to (laughs) drop half a billion dollars, which I'm sure someone would, Texas A&M probably, not not little Clemson (laughs) or Miami or anybody like that. Um, so I, I don't know if you physically can get out unless you have an unbelievable lawyer an unbelievable case. And, you know, you try to really press that, but it's something that change I think is coming. What does that look like? Is that again, is it a super conference? Is it a couple of super conferences? Is it, you know, combining forces? I'm not sure, but I do know things are going to change. I do know that this thing is, is going to keep evolving. There's too much money involved. There's too much media involved. And it's uh, it, it's it's going to be something that's really interesting to see moving forward.
0: Eric, we've t- we've touched on your power rankings. If you have to choose today, who's playing Clemson in the ACC championship game?
1: You know what is crazy about that? I have Duke as the highest ranked coastal team right now. I do not think it's going to be Duke. I <laughs> honestly, if the if the season ended right now, and it's crazy, I'm saying this. I think it's North Carolina. I think their quarterback's just too good. I mean, I, I think that he's going to get better. I think the defense maybe figures it out. Um, <laughs> But it just goes to show that I can't wait till next year when we get rid of divisions because it just – it sucks that I have to pick from that. It, it stinks that there's not another Wake repeat or an NC State repeat or, or Florida State. Who knows what that's going to end up looking like. Um, There's just so many good teams on the Atlantic side this year. It is really tilted – Uh, you know, towards the Atlantic. So we'll see. It's the final year of coastal chaos. And it looks like that division is going to get the absolute most out of it uh, going into Charlotte in December.
2: Eric, uh, I wanted to compliment you on the podcast. I've listened to it before, but it's funny when I'm scrolling through Twitter, you and Kelly always look like you're having such a good time (laughs) because, you know, you see you in the Brady Bunch boxes and you're all smiling and (laughs) laughing and stuff. So um really enjoy I appreciate enjoy that, that show, but uh thank you. <laughs>
0: um
2: as far as if you had to pick a playoff field right now, who would you put in it?
1: Oh man, I love that. That's a great question. Um I, I don't like the, the doubling up, especially if you just played that person in yeah. the conference championship. Um so I think right now, especially again recency bias, that's just kind of why we do these things. I think that Alabama is playing better. Now their quarterback's injured. Not sure what the extent of that's going to look like. So let's say everything's fine. I'm, I'm going Alabama. Yeah. Um, I think Ohio State is playing at a very high level. Um, I think Clemson is going to be playing at a very high level. And then four is going to be fascinating. I think this yeah. is going to be the most intriguing year for who four is 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 going to be. And, and I think it could be a USC. Um, I don't think they're the most – complete team I think they certainly have some holes especially defensively uh, in regards to what they could do I I could see a Michigan beating Ohio State and and getting the jump there maybe someone from the Big 12 is this you know Oklahoma State's year where they can finally jump in there Um, Utah that loss early to Florida I think they get hurt again down the stretch so I might just say USC and be super boring and Say these superpower blue bloods at Clemson. Um, I, I think I'm gonna go with those four.
2: <laughs> Will you get the Notre Dame fans going with the USC? Yeah,
1: y'all can <laughs> yeah. stop that. Just go ahead, and beat them. Y'all can stop that. <laughs> yeah, you were doing so well. That,
0: so. <laughs> I I thought that you were gonna be able to get past the, the, the people were like, hey, quit begging us to come to the ACC. We'll, we'll get we'll get over that. But then when you throw USC in the playoff, now I, I don't Dang it, know. It's no over. Answer. It's over. <laughs> Well, Eric, that's that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking time to join us, and uh, we'll certainly be in touch as as the season moves forward and Notre Dame has some more ACC opponents coming up.
1: No doubt. Appreciate you guys. And honestly, the biggest miss of the podcast, I should have said Kansas, was going to be the fourth team. They're balling right now. <laughs> Love to see the Jayhawks. It's not basketball season, but game day's going there. Uh, appreciate you guys very much. Always great talking with you.
2: As a reminder, the Inside nd Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, maker of the best, dress socks you'll ever wear. You got the no slip guarantee. You got the bamboo fabric. Uh, They're awesome. We wear them. We love them. And now there's a new wrinkle. There's actually a product line that'll align with your favorite team. It's called the Navy and Gold Collection, Uh, making sure that you know that it's the proper color of blue, not some powder blue and gold. And there's All kinds of different designs and so forth so check them out how do you check them out you go to deadsoxy.com you go to the collections tab and it's a drop down menu and you'll go to the colorways navigation and the product line that you're going to be looking for the navy and gold collection that's going to be right at the top you'll see a little bit farther down if you scroll down there's some purple socks if you want to send some to brian kelly you know, you can click on those or you can send them the Navy and gold ones, but they're really cool designs. And what I really like about dead Soxy being our sponsor is that they listen to the consumers and they've been on our message board and they'll have a presence on our message board. And and you told them what you wanted in, in a design, what, what your ideas were, and they responded to it and they'll continue to do that. So, Look for them on our message board. You can interact with them. You can tell them what you like about the socks, Uh, Tell them what you want to see. And, and the best part about all this is right now you can get 25% off if you use the promo code LUCKY. These make great gifts. So it's L-U-C-K-Y is the
0: promo code, deadsoxy.com. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit acrepro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765 765- 587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at E. ND. Before we get into our questions, I wanted to alert our listeners to the latest subscription deal we're running on Inside ND Sports. We are giving new subscribers free access through the end of the regular season if they sign up through Saturday of this week. So if you head to Inside IndieSports.com, you'll have the option to subscribe at the top of the page. You can create an account, select a monthly or yearly subscription, and then enter the promo code SHAMROCK22, all caps SHAMROCK22, and that will sign you up for a subscription that you won't be charged for until November 27th, which is the day after the USC game. Obviously, we hope to, by then, convince you to stick with us, but that will give you a good amount of uh, coverage from us. You'll have access to all of our content. Um, It's a really good deal. You'll be able to join our message board community on the Insider Lounge and ask us even more questions because that's where we spend all our time during the week before we get to the podcast. So we hope uh, you take advantage of that deal, and let's get into some questions. First question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. With four games on film but only eight quarters and a few drives with Drew Pine at quarterback, how would you defend this Notre Dame offense if you're BYU? How do you think Notre Dame comes out offensively knowing that BYU poses a much bigger threat defensively than UNC? Well,
2: I'm trying to be realistic here with given what BYU strengths and weaknesses are on defense. They are not a very good run defense, and they are not a very good pass rush team. So if they're going to do some of these things, they're going to have to be a little bit gimmicky, and they're going to have to – um do them intermittently. So I would load the box initially on Drew Pine and and try to force Notre Dame to throw the ball downfield and I'd play my safeties up so that he has to throw the ball deep on a consistent basis. But I don't think again if you're BYU you can make a living doing that just because it's not a team that gets a lot of sacks and tackles for a loss, so you got to mix that up. Mix coverages and pressures, different looks. You know, that's how I would attack Drew Pine. Try to make him as much of a pocket passer where he's stuck in the pocket where he's behind those big, tall linemen. Seems like he's really good when Tommy kind of moves him out of the pocket and he can see things a little bit better. Um, so that that would be my strategy there.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm certainly not a defensive mastermind, but I would just – play tech coverage on the outside, assign an extra safety to Michael Mayer, and play one single high safety and sort of challenge Notre Dame to beat me deep. Um, I think you have to sort of load the box. Um, I think Notre Dame will do things formationally that maybe prevents you from doing that. But um, like, I don't know that I would play much nickel against Notre Dame, and I think North Carolina probably did that too much. Um certainly and then so and then make this make the slot receiver beat you if that's what's gonna happen. Um beat a linebacker now certainly Notre Dame should be able to do that, but there's not a long track record of Notre Dame's receivers making plays. So um that's what I would do defensively. Um I'm sure there are probably some better ideas than that, but that seems to be the most common sense thing to me. From from Notre Dame's perspective, I would uh, try to establish the run, which I think they will try to do, use all of its running backs, get the ball to Michael Mayer. I I don't think it's going to be anything significantly different than what Notre Dame did against North Carolina. I don't know if it's going to have the same sort of success. That's the thing that we will learn. Um, But I think we saw some things in terms of what Notre Dame can do well, regardless of the defense is playing against. I think Notre Dame played to its strengths against North Carolina. Now it's a matter of finding out if it can play to its strengths against defenses that are better than North Carolina's.
2: Right. I would think they, they're going to take a similar approach to North Carolina offensively. I'd say the one thing with having a bye week, there's probably going to be a couple of wrinkles since sure. they had some extra time to work on some things, look at things on film and exploit BYU with maybe a trick play or some misdirection or something. But well, and I'd the, say-
0: One of the benefits of having success on offense is that once you have success, teams have to plan to stop that, and then you can sort yeah. of come with come with wrinkles off of that that get right. them get them to not be able to predict what you're going to do.
2: Absolutely.
0: Next question is from at IrishDisney33. Are you aware of any differences in approach or schedule during the bye week Coach Freeman had versus past Indy coaches or even compared to other coaches around the country?
2: Well, I mean, the thing that I would point out is Brian Kelly was really good after bye week. There were – there were two losses and 14 wins. He was
0: really bad one time. <laughs> yeah, he was really
2: bad one time. And I can tell you what they did that one time that, that wasn't good. The thing about it is it it does depend when the bye week happens. And this one was earlier. So compared to most of Brian Kelly's bye week practices, there was a lot more physical practice uh, periods than normally you would get with BK. He would be backing people off a little bit just based on that that game. Usually, you know, bye usually came after game six or seven or even sometimes eight, but it's usually in October. The other thing, um you know, Brian Kelly had variables with, sometimes it came during exam week, which was perfect, um, midterm exam weeks. The Michigan game came... Um, after the exams. It came during their fall break. So they had a ton of time on their hands and Brian Kelly backed them off too much. Um, with with not having a, any academic um, requirements during that week, he probably should have worked them a little harder and he's the first one to admit that. So it's it's not a one size fits all based on when the by even with Brian Kelly, they'd have a buy in front of Navy and they'd work on Navy for two weeks. If they had a different opponent, they'd probably only work on that opponent one of the weeks. And and Brian sometimes liked to get the younger guys a lot of reps. Marcus did that a little bit. He had periods where there were younger guys scrimmaging, but Brian poured more into that. Um so so I would say that they're if, if given the same circumstances, let's say that this came uh, around October 22nd or October 15th, Marcus would have handled it a little bit differently. And and so, um, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of situation based on the timing and how, how mature your team is sometimes. There are times yeah. Brian could trust his team to back off a little bit, even let them go home if it was fall break for a couple of days where he couldn't do that with a younger team, they would be too undisciplined.
0: Yeah. I think there, there, I don't think there is like one set plan that you could, that one bi-week plan that works for every team every year. Like that's just, that's just not how it works. It, coaching is more intricate than that, And you have to have that sense of your team. The timing matters. Um, like you said, it's, this isn't midterm week. Um, so that helps. And uh I don't. I mean, there were the practices were physical. There were three of them, but I don't think it was anything that was overly taxing. And I think people like Michael Mayer, who are are being asked to do a lot on a week to week basis, weren't the ones that they were re- relying on to to go out there and and be physical and prove themselves during the week. So I think uh, it some like smart roster management is involved in that in terms of like who you're asking to do the the dirty work or the hard work during the week as well. So, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll find out how successful it was. Um, and I, I would also say, I don't, I don't know, like, it's not always, like if if Notre Dame loses against BYU, that doesn't necessarily mean that they mishandled the bye week. I think there uh, could be more, more at play than just the, the bye week schedule. And for people that wondered, the exam week will be the week of the Stanford game. The fall break will be the week of the UNLV game. All right. Next question is from at Charles W Wolf. Which player do you think is best positioned for a breakout performance after the bye week?
2: I would say. I wrote down a bunch, hmm. and so I would, I would go with Eli Rardon. I think he's got the opportunity to do that, and I also think he's showing them things that make them want to give him, expand his role and give him more opportunities to show even more. So I would go with the freshman tight end, Eli Rarden.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. And the, the honestly, the second one I had was the other freshman tight end, Holden Stays. Yeah. I think I think they're both in a position to do that. I think they're both talented enough to do that. And certainly Eli Rarden has been given more opportunities to this point of the season, but I do think Holden Stays has some um skills and ability that can be leveraged as well in the offense so i think those are the most obvious guys i mean i don't i don't think there's going to be a lot of players that emerge after the bye week that weren't involved in the first four weeks i just i'm just not sure that that's a really long list there could be guys that perform at a higher level certainly that's what i think but i don't know that there's going to be a lot of necessarily new names that we're like oh what what we didn't even think about that guy the first four weeks right i I think maris leofow is
2: a guy that might play at a higher level after the bye i think xavier watts might uh and i think benjamin morrison might just as he gets more comfortable with being a starter
0: yeah and our next question from nathan reynolds at enforcers 2117 is is pretty similar what players do you think will benefit most from the bye week reardon and stays um pine and and
2: jelly it gives those guys a chance to kind of slow things down yeah get get things fundamentally set for them I'd say Marist and Collie just because again Collie missed some time he's surging now I think Marist is surging gives them time to kind of get their fundamentals and get the fine points of their game better and I'd say Morrison and Mickey and then all the injured guys too but yeah Morrison and Mickey just getting them you know getting the um the flaws out of their game are at least softening them. You know, they've played a lot. Their PFF scores haven't been terrific. Uh, I think there's a lot of upside there, though. I can understand why they're playing those two.
0: Yeah, I, I, my list had a lot of the same names as you. I would add Michael Mayer to that list. He's just, he, like I said earlier, like he needs to give him as much rest as he needs because he, <laughs> you're asking him to do a lot on game days on a weekly basis. And so the bye week should be beneficial to him. Uh, I agree with Prince Kali sort of the guy that's hasn't had a lot of experience on, in, on games and then also sort of missed some practice time during camp because of a concussion. Um, so I think this would be uh, that or last week should have been a, a good week for him. Uh, Cam Hard is someone that I'd like to think should have benefited from the bye week I think he's sort of had a tough start to the season and not necessarily played to his expectations. So, Perhaps the bye week gave him a chance to regroup after a tough start. And then I think the name everyone wants us to say is Tobias Merriweather. Um, (laughs) And and I think uh, Notre Dame probably would hope that's the case too. And we'll, we'll see if he took advantage of that or not. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie by week. I saw non five-star freshman receivers at Alabama and Clemson catch the ball rather than it being trust for Tobias. Is it a coaching weakness that they can't utilize his best assets to get him on the field? How much do you think he will play moving forward?
2: Well, that was at the top of my list of things to get um, asked Marcus Freeman in Monday's press conference. And I kind of bunched in Deion Colsey and Joe Wilkins as well because they haven't played much either. The three of them together I think have 21 snaps the season and and Wilkins has 13 of them and they have no catches and they're all receivers that offer something a little bit different than the four that are playing a lot right now and I was a little bit surprised with Marcus's answer it doesn't sound like now again I don't read Marcus as well as I read Brian Kelly I had 12 years to practice on him so <laughs> so, so but the answer that Marcus gave me was you know, these guys, if they're not playing as much as they want to, they need to seek feedback. And, you know, that should help them know what they have to work on to get on the field. So I didn't get the sense that, you know, he said they're improving, but I didn't get the sense that something was imminent, that there was a breakthrough during the bye week. So why is that? Is it, is it, uh, you, as you mentioned, Maria, coaching weakness? Um, is there something else going on? I don't think it's a coaching weakness because I think Chancy um, does a really good job with the fundamentals and with the finer points of things. Maybe they're high maybe they're holding him to too high of a standard. you know maybe him just getting on the field. I know that Charlie Weiss did this with Golden Tate when he was young that he just felt like golden wasn't giving him what he wanted to in practice. And Evan sharply kind of told Charlie, let's just get him to run a go route and we'll throw it to him. And let's see if that works. And it and it kind of sparked things. Once he got into a game, he was a better practice player. So was, was
0: he someone that uh, this, this is before my time. So I, I, I may be misremembering a story Were they having someone like follow him when he was lining up to tell him what to do from like the sideline. <laughs> or am I thinking of something else? You're not thinking of something else. Um,
2: It wasn't that they followed him. It was, a lot of times they wouldn't put him into the game unless Notre Dame was on the hash mark near their bench.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So
2: that he could kind of hear, hear those instructions from the sideline. If he was on the opposite side of the field, there was no way they were putting him in a game. (laughs) But again, once he, and then he learned to jump into the Michigan state band. So he he learned quickly Um, once, once he got going, the game action seemed to spark better practices with him and, The Tobias is a head scratcher because, and and Golden was smart too, but Tobias worked so hard at memorizing the playbook, and again, he's a tough kid. He's got track speed. He's six foot five. I I understand why fans want to know and get to the bottom of this, and I'm going to try to do some poking around in some other areas and see if I can get to it. We're going to talk to Tommy Reese tonight at the um coordinator availability and it's certainly a question that i will pose to him tonight if somebody else hasn't already yeah i mean it,
0: it, it's tough because it's like we keep telling people that, that he has to establish the trust and then everyone wants to know, well if it's not the trust it's like well we're telling you that it is yeah. so i don't know you don't trust us for some reason which i understand there's like why can't notre dame figure that out but if that's the issue to me they like there's nothing else to get past like if he can't do what he's asked to do then then the, that's the end of the discussion he has to figure out how to do that now I don't know why that's not happening are they asking him to do too much I think I mean there could be like this well, is some
2: of it is I mean maybe playing in front of big crowds is different maybe having schoolwork on top of everything he was learning with football is a big
0: burden well, well, and it's it's when you come in and don't have that success that you expected right away, then I think that it becomes even more challenging for guys. And so it's it's this it's this hard. You got to find the tipping point of like, okay, when I need to have the success to have success, but I can't get to the success point. So how do you how do you get to that point? How do you remain confident? How do you do do everything that's asked of you when your confidence is maybe slipping because you're not getting those opportunities that you want? So do you not trust your coach as much as as, as you thought you did? what what's going on i can't figure that out so to me that that goes to that question when marcus said they need to seek out feedback now i think i saw someone on our message board say like aren't the coaches supposed to give them the feedback isn't that their job but i think it's not just like knowing what the feedback is it's also implementing what you're being told like if, if that feedback is giving being given to you do something with it make make improvements um so I mean, we're we're being asked to to tell people what are happening in practice that we're not allowed to see, and even if we're getting both sides of the story, we're not necessarily going to know exactly what's true if we're sitting there and watching ourselves and being able to sort of gauge what's going on. Um, so, I mean, even if we're hearing things from Tobias's side or from Chancey Stucky's side, that still might not necessarily give us the most clear picture because everyone's going to have their own viewpoints of it. But the but what needs to happen is. Notre Dame needs to figure out a way to get him on the field and he needs to figure out a way to get himself on the field, um, for Notre Dame to have more success. Um, and if that's not happening, then there, there, some more patience needs to be required. The problem is Notre Dame shouldn't be in a position every year where it needs a freshman receiver to play, but that's the receiving position that they keep finding themselves need that in. next
2: year with the numbers,
0: right? That's they keep finding themselves in that position and I, People want, I, I, if people are at like this question to me, is it a coaching weakness? Are you saying that Chancey Stuckey isn't a good enough coach? Well, he hasn't been able to coach him for very long. And he doesn't necessarily have a, a long track record with all the other receivers. So all those guys he needs to establish himself with and make sure that they trust him. So like if you can't keep up, Chancey Stuckey has to be spend that time coaching those other guys because he hasn't had three years to coach Brayden Lindsey. He hasn't had three years to coach Lorenzo Styles. So he has to sort of establish himself with those guys while also trying to bring those other guys along. And if they can't keep up, then it becomes a problem. And so I think that's how you you can end up in a situation like this.
2: Right. And I don't know that it necessarily needs to be Tobias. If somehow Deion Colsey played at the level that the expectations were for him walking in the door, or if Joe Wilkins finally kind of figured it out, if they get one of those big receivers going, it gives them another dimension.
0: Yeah. Lastly, I should throw it here. I am outlawing any comparisons between Notre Dame's wide receivers and Alabama and Clemson wide receivers for the near future. The track record of success isn't close at all. The quarterback play isn't the same. That's what Notre Dame wants to get to and needs to get to at some point. But it's just not the reality of Notre Dame's situation right now.
2: Well, can they compare them to Wake Forest's receivers?
0: That's fine, but I'm sure that there weren't a lot of freshman receivers out there making plays for them either. Next question is from Irish John 68 on the insider lounge. When we talk about recruiting and who has the best freshman class, should we include recruiting of the transfer portal as part of that recruiting class?
2: I think you're seeing more of that. Rivals has gone and in and invested a lot more resources into the whole portal thing. I think what you you're seeing now is separate. You see separate high school ratings and separate portal ratings. And I think, eventually you'll want to keep those separate but you'll also want to say okay let's let's add these together and see who has the best class i i think that would be kind of interesting to be able to do that i think it's the transfer guys are a little bit harder to gauge because i don't know that rivals and our competitors are scouting those guys quite as Closely, but again, rivals is putting a lot more resources into this whole whole portal thing. So maybe they'll get really good at being able to assess that other than just the top guys, the guys at the very top.
0: Yeah, and I do know that, like you mentioned, rivals is something that that's something rivals is investing in, getting more coverage of the transfer portal because it is an increasingly more important part of roster management and building. I think it. I think they have to be separate. I don't think you can't. And to me, the biggest thing is like, you're not, you're dealing with varying amounts of eligibility left. So it's not really the same as the high school recruiting classes. Like, obviously when you're recruiting a class, like those guys in that class could be here for three years and go to the NFL, they could be here for five five years or yeah, obviously they can transfer (laughs) out too. So, but, but I think when you're sort of evaluating a recruiting class, the 2023 recruiting class to me, that, that, that is the high school class. And then, then you can sort of evaluate what the transfer class is. I think they have to be sort of separate. And also, I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's a different, different deal. And all, uh, the, the thing about transfers too is like, well, is he was a five star recruit and he's been at this school for one year. Does that mean he's still a five star transfer or was, did he, or was he Jordan Johnson? You know what I mean? Like yeah. Jordan, UCF probably would have got a pretty good grade for getting Jordan Johnson to transfer to, to UCF, but turns out he probably shouldn't have been a five star to begin with. Uh, so I think that you have to sort of sure if he should have been a four star, (laughs) you have to sort of figure that out. And it's hard to know that like who, like who, how do you know if, if Jordan Johnson was actually good at Notre Dame and that's why he transferred out. Like, obviously I wouldn't, I I can't imagine that if rivals reach out to, reaches out to Notre Dame and say, Hey, is he really good? He's not, they're not going to say, yeah, he's a stud. We're really upset that we're losing him. There's there's not always going to be that. Um, honesty from 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 that side of things so i think uh you have to grading transfers i think is is not necessarily any easier than it is grading grading these high school recruits because there's so many unknowns that you you're not able to to get to one thing i'll
2: add too is i hope rivals never does this that that they assign nil estimates (laughs) or whatever that there's another network that's doing that and it's so bogus and it's I, I don't see how that serves anybody. I think it raises the expectations of recruits that that's their price tag. And there's no way some of those guys are getting the money that they're, um, that they're saying they're worth. So I think that's totally useless. I
0: think it's. No, I mean, to me, it's a, it is a way to get in with the recruits and the players to make them feel good uh, and and say, Hey, look at all this coverage and what we're doing with your NIL stuff. And um, that that's what that's about. But um my job isn't to promote people's NIL deals. Um, I will tell people what's going on, and they can. We're going to promote out. our own NIL deals. Uh, that's right. I'm not getting. I'm not getting paid to promote someone else. If they're getting paid, they can promote themselves. Uh, so that that's how I feel about that. Next, and uh, yes, the last question is from at Drew Brennan seventy seven. Teams are not getting penalized for scheduling complete softies at the beginning of the year. Look at Michigan's first three games and how they are currently ranked number four. Should Notre Dame start doing the same to get easy wins, more players playing, and the season off to a good fast start? Well, I think
2: I wouldn't get too excited. I mean, Michigan is playing easy teams. They've also done well against those easy teams. Um, And that doesn't mean that the college football playoff committee, when they start doing their rankings in November, is, is going to view those easier wins the same way uh, that the AP and the um, coaches polls do. once they start comparing those teams and splitting hairs, those games may come back to bite Michigan if they don't aren't equally dominant in their conference games. um i I don't think I don't think that Notre Dame can do that, nor should they as as long as there's a four team playoff which isn't much longer and I would even say to a certain extent with the 12 team they're graded differently they don't have a path to get an automatic bid um into they're they're comparing 13 games versus 12 so their schedule has to be a little bit stronger the other thing is it's difficult for Notre Dame to load up on all the easies at the beginning of the season because they're playing teams that are in conferences And they have to fit Notre Dame in around their conference schedule. And some of the prime real estate for that is playing Notre Dame at the beginning of the year before they get into their conference schedule. So I I just don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's realistic and I don't think it ultimately pays off. We've seen teams left out of the playoffs or penalized because of a soft non-conference schedule.
0: Yeah, there I don't know the conference schedules that well, but like there are, I think like the SEC, they usually have a bi-week late or not a bye week uh, a non-conference it game. Is like a right, yeah.
2: It is like a bye week Right. It is like a bye week like FCS week. To,
0: yeah. To play the Citadel or something like that. Like Alabama is not going to schedule Notre Dame to play in November or whatever, um, because they want that easy. They want that easy game later in the season. Um, so that, that is the, that is the difficulty in terms of Notre Dame trying to get um later in the and especially like the southern schools and the schools from the west coast it's hard for Notre Dame to get it, those teams to tr- want to go to south bend in november when they know there's a si- significant weather disadvantage uh to coming to south bend as well so i think Notre Dame is that's, the that's one of th- climactic advantage <laughs> exactly that's one of the, that's one of the um cons to being in to being independent you don't have as much control over the ability to um schedule those games at different part of the seasons you, you can't rely on having power five games against important op- opponents outside of the acc now um that'll happen in late october or into november um, other than your 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 annual series against stanford or usc so if you wanted to sort of schedule a uh, a different annual series like that, that would be long lasting. Maybe then you could work something out, but those, those USC and Stanford games are long, long standing. Um, so that's why they're, they have been set up in the way that they have getting back to the, uh, the penalizing of the polls. I, I don't, I don't think the AP poll necessarily has the power to penalize. So I wouldn't put too much uh, stock in that. that, 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 power lies with the college football playoff committee. And uh with good reason. They, they wait to release their rankings later in the season that they want a greater sample size. And the first playoff rankings released up this year, I believe is November 1st. So um, we'll see what, what the committee thinks of teams like Michigan and, and, and others who have maybe played softer schedules, who will won't have as quite soft of schedules by the time that rolls around. And uh, we'll see how that goes, but I, I don't Notre Dame shouldn't be worried about what the AP poll thinks of it at the beginning of the season. Um, necessarily moving forward. So I, I personally like moving into a season with not necessarily big games, but I don't think Notre Dame is in a position to to do that based on the needs it, in terms of getting big games on its schedule because there just aren't enough opportunities late in the seasons to do that. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating. Leave a review and share our podcast feed with your plumber. Show us some love on YouTube as well. We'll have our place your bets predictions for the BYU game later this week and our Monday night live show. We'll be back on, you guessed it, Monday night. And we'll be back here for another podcast on Tuesday to recap the BYU game and preview the Stanford game. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.